Hello and welcome to the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the best way to buy and learn about Bitcoin. I'm your host, Alex Danton, and we're excited to announce that we're bringing the Cafe Bitcoin conversation from Twitter Spaces to you on this show, the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, Monday through Friday, every week. Join us as we speak to guests like Michael Saylor, Len Alden, Corey Clipston, Greg Foss, Tomer Strohlight, and many others in the Bitcoin space. Also, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Make sure you get notifications when we launch a new episode. You can join us live on Twitter Spaces Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific and 10 a.m. Eastern every morning to become part of the conversation yourself. Thanks again. We look forward to bringing you the best Bitcoin content daily here on the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast. We got a lot lined up for you guys today. Uh, I want to remind everybody, we don't get paid to do this. This is a completely volunteer thing. Like, yes, I work for Swan, but Swan does not pay me to do this. I have a different function at Swan. I guess the reason why I'm pointing that out is, is that this show is for Bitcoiners. And it's for the other people who are yet to become Bitcoiners. Today's show, we're going to be talking about Operation Choke Point 2.0. Coinbase has received a Wells notice. It was announced by the CEO. We talk about Bitcoin macro. We're going to talk about a little bit later. We're going to get the latest, latest from Luxor. I know Ant loves these guys. Yeah, network effects increase. This is what we call the Bitcoin impenetrable force field level. By the way, Ant, you're a little quiet. So if you have a way to raise your volume, let's do that. You are, we are 413 days. Sorry, four and 13 days from the next halving, you can still buy 3,626 sats per dirty fiat dollar. Might want to get some in case this thing catches on. Why is Wicked so sad? We'll ask him here in a second. 92.02% of the total supply of Bitcoin that will ever be mined in the history of the human race has already been mined. And when I say you might want to get some in case this thing catches on, there's a bit of urgency to that and we'll talk about that in a little bit good morning to everybody jacob greg foss wicked aunt tomer terrence and all you cafe bitcoiners what's up wicked good morning guys morning <clears throat> you guys seen this it looks like bill kwan's been arrested mm. I, I saw a couple of tweets about that, that. Already. Yeah. Well, you got to get your mic fixed, man. You're really quiet today. Yeah, you should reconnect. Uh, and we're getting uh, feedback whenever your mic's open. Why is it the tech guys always have the most problems? Because they're experimenting with new tech. So are they going to, are they going to get Doquanda? Yeah, give all of his Bitcoin back, and then what's going to happen? What's the new FUD going to be? It's going to be like Do Kwan's Bitcoin is going to get dumped on the market. No, what they're going to do is is they're going to get Do Kwan to give the Bitcoin back, and they're going to say they confiscated it. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. 
Oh yeah, they'll say they they hacked it. They hacked it exactly. They froze his wallet at addresses. That's what they'll say. The look, the best one was when the FBI took the uh, took the the cold storage device out of their um, evidence room and noticed that the Bitcoin had been stolen off of it. <laughs> Damn, must have been that Wild. pesky backup that the guy had buried by his grandma's favorite tree. By the way, the reason we're joking about this, if you're new to Bitcoin, is because we've seen this before. Like, if you guys rewind the clock back to when the uh, the truckers' protest was happening in Canada, and the Canadian authorities were like, "We're freezing all of their assets. We're freezing their Bitcoin. We're freezing their Bitcoin wallets." Those were lies. That is literally impossible to do. You cannot freeze somebody's Bitcoin wallet or their addresses. So, like, don't believe that shit when you hear authorities say that they're freezing their Bitcoin assets. Not possible to do that. And if they, if you ever hear the authorities say that they have confiscated Bitcoin, it's because somebody has given it up. It's not because they have taken it. Well, that is precisely they, right. Or they found that person's backup. So, I mean, they can confiscate it if you're not careful with where you're keeping your you know, seat plate that you stamped or whatever, right? If they, if they any, I mean, this is an important thing for anyone in the audience who, who is new. If anyone finds your 12 or 24 word backup, they can steal your Bitcoin. Like if you don't have other precautions on top of that. So those 12 or 24 words, literally just like, that's the key. And if anyone ever finds that, you know, you can say bye-bye to your Bitcoin. What do you mean by other precautions? Well, things like passphrases or multi-signature setups. So if you have a passphrase on top of your 12 or 24 word seed phrase, then, you know, you need both. You need both the seed phrase and the passphrase to move or to sign a transaction to, you know, spend your Bitcoin, right? So some people okay, who are so a little bit further down the rabbit hole might case, have extra precautions on top of their seed phrase. Let, okay, let's say somebody does that. Because I've personally not been a big fan of passwords or the, the 25th the word, passphrase. so to speak. Yeah. How, passphrase. Okay, well, how would some, so let's say somebody's going about securing their seed phrase, right? Would you secure the passphrase separately from the seed phrase? And how would you recommend people do that? Yeah, I mean, it, so this is where it, it, there's no good answer, to be honest. Like, I mean, yeah, everyone has their own preference and own way of doing things. Some people memorize the passphrase because it's easier to memorize. But then some people say, if you can memorize the passphrase, then it's probably not good enough. You know, so there's all sorts of trade-offs with the types of setups you can have. But, you know, like if you're worried about, like, let's say you live somewhere where you can't easily hide a metal seed phrase plate you know i mean there's a lot of places in the world where you literally don't have a front door you know like anyone can walk into your house you know what i'm saying so like if you live in that kind of situation and you're right. worried about someone just walking in your front door then it might be a good idea to have like at the very least like a simple passphrase that you know you can slap on top and that you can memorize so you don't have to have it physically written down anywhere um but you know if you're doing it that way then just make sure that you know you're your loved ones um, know about your setup 
and maybe they memorize it too or whatever, right? Like there's just, there's different levels of precautions you can take and each one has its trade-offs. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Can, can we, can we just say that, that getting your Bitcoin off the exchange into even a hot wallet, so a software wallet is so much more secure, like, like exponentially more secure than keeping your money in a bank or in a centralized uh, entity that what we're talking about here is once you start going down this rabbit hole of security, you can go really far down this thing, right? And it's just like anything else. If you're, um, let's say you're preparing for um, uh, the next COVID crisis and you're, you're, you're stockpiling some, some toilet paper, can you take that to the nth degree and end up with a bunker full of toilet paper? Probably. Should you go there? Maybe. That's up to you. But the point is that this security thing often scares people away um, from self-custody. It, it, it seems like it's overwhelming. It did to me. Um, the reality is, is that you will get to wherever you are comfortable with. Once you go on your self-custody journey, you will do whatever security, um, you feel like you are comfortable with. And that is an iterative, an iter iterative process. It's not something that yeah. you do all at once. It's something that you do slowly, one step at a time. Yeah, yeah, I will also point out, like, these guys are both correct. Hang on. These guys are both correct. Wicked is correct. Peter's correct as well. But here's the thing you got to understand is that there's no one size fits all when it comes to custody. There are a lot of questions you got to ask. And the more money you're securing, the more value you're securing in terms of Bitcoin, the more valuable it is, you have to reassess how you're doing the custody. So like at Swan with our, with our high net worth clients, we're, we're emphasizing to them. You should probably do a review of your custody situation every six months to a year and, and reassess where it's at. You also have to consider things like, what is your inheritance plan? Who do you have heirs? There, you know, there are people who don't have any heirs and they're like, I don't know, fuck, like, sure. See, uh, passphrase is perfect. I'll just memorize that shit. Um, but for other people, like if you have a passphrase and you get hit in the head or you you know, the person who is securing the passphrase gets dementia. They're the elder in the family. And then, you know, maybe they had 50 million U.S. dirty fiat dollars worth of Bitcoin. Uh, and, and the guy gets dementia and he forgets the passphrase. And then the family is SOL, right? So there's lots of considerations. And my, my thought on that is don't let it scare you. Uh, get some Bitcoin is your first step. Learn about it as you go, like what a lot of clients, and, and here's the other thing I'm going to point out. There's a lot of Bitcoin maxis who are like, Bitcoin is meant to be used in self-custody. I agree with that hundred percent. I recommend people take self-custody. We encourage everybody. At Swan, we encourage everybody to do self-custody, but here's the facts. A lot of Bitcoiners may not like this, but it's the truth. Whether you like it or not, it's the truth. There are a lot of people especially extremely wealthy people who have zero interest in doing self-custody. They're not accustomed to it. They don't like it. They don't trust it. They don't want to be screwed, messed around with. Like, put it this way. I'm going to tell you a quick story. I have a client that I'm talking to right now, very wealthy family. Not going to say from where, but this one particular person is going to do 
high seven, I mean, high seven figures Bitcoin buy. So their net worth is imagine much, much larger than that. All right. Basically, this person told me directly, I have zero interest in doing self-custody. I've looked at it, don't want to do it. I want to do institutional custody. The only question at this point is, what's the best solution? So you need to realize there are a lot of people who simply will not buy Bitcoin if you demand that they do self-custody. You got to let people go down this journey and figure this stuff on their, figure this stuff out on their own but over time. It is a journey and you do have to figure it out over time. And what a lot of people are figuring out over this most recent period of time is that institutions that previously were thought of as immovable and indestructible are unraveling. So um, th this will all shift over time. And certainly there are going to be some people that will resist, that will resist self-custody, you know, to the nth degree. But the truth is at some point, uh, it's something that everyone should look at. And, and I think a great way to kind of like take away a lot of that sort of stress around it is for people to just explore it uh, with a very low risk uh, kind of environment. You know, you, you literally take 10 bucks worth of Bitcoin and you put it on a wallet, play with it, and you, you demystify it. Um, a lot of the things that you guys were talking about as far as passphrases, these are advanced techniques. There's trade-offs to every single layer that you introduce, but also this whole experience changes drastically over time. If you talk to people who were in Bitcoin in 2012 and 2013 about how they stored their Bitcoin, it's very different than what it is today. And uh, it will be very different five years from now, 10 years from now. So it's one of these things where people just need to stop thinking of it as a all or nothing, one shot kind of context. You have to think about it as uh, a new technology. And just like you iterate over the course of your lifetime how you get around and what kind of car you drive. You're going to iterate over how you store your Bitcoin and you're probably going to have a, a whole variety of different methods. I, I think the best thing to do is for people not to think of it as one size fits all and to have multiple setups and spread out your risk by having multiple wallets. You can have custodial over here, some self-custody over here, you could do a little multi-sig for a certain context over here. You can kind of try these things out and See, spread out is, your, your, this is your just approach. There. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause you for a second, TC. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but this is exactly what I'm talking about. Is that like, it, it, if someone's listening to this and they're brand new, you just named like, I don't know, three, four, five, six different ways to do it. What I'm trying to say here, and this is super important, hear me on this. People can hear all of that and they'll be like, man, that's confusing as shit. What do I do? And that will cause paralysis in terms of their decision-making, right? The amount of value you secure will have a huge impact on how you do custody and it will evolve over time. Bitcoiners who are buying like, you know, there's a lot of Bitcoiners who are like, well, man, I could, I could just secure half of Bitcoin. I'm going to be set. And then, you know, then it's like, well, I just need one Bitcoin. Then it's going to be like 2.5 or five or whatever. And everybody's got a different size stack in mind. Some people are like, well, if you're a sailor, I need like a quarter million Bitcoin or whatever. But the point I'm trying to make is just like other types of um, things that have value, you, your custody solutions and your security, because these, these are the same thing. They will evolve over time. And you have to kind of just look at it from that point of view. Just get started. Get off zero. 
Why do you need to get off zero? Because things are happening right now that makes it urgent. All right, I'm going to give a quick analogy and then we'll, we'll keep moving. The analogy is this. When I worked in the gold industry, you could buy maybe a couple gold coins or a stack of silver or whatever. You could have it shipped to your house. You could stick it in your, your safe in your house. It's all good. No problem, right? But what happens when you're securing 100 grand worth of gold? What happens when you're securing a half a million? What happens when you're securing a million or 10 million or 50 million or 100 million? You're going to ship that to your house? You're going to put it in your gun safe? What are you going to do? You're going to hire, you know, you're going to have this huge truck roll up, armored truck to your house, and then all your neighbors watch them unload these things into your house. And then what are you going to do? You're going to have like dudes walking around the perimeter with body armor and, 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 and fully automatic weapons. Right? Sounds good to me. So, hey, that's, that's perfect though, Alex, because you might, you might absolutely need institutional custody for that situation. But the person that has $10 million of gold in a, a custodial solution should also probably have a couple gold coins at home that they can feel in their hand and understand what it feels like to store that so they understand what it is that they even own. And, and that's all part of yeah. it as well. I, so it's just about not kind of uh, eliminating something just because it's new. It's, it's one of these things look, people will kind of understand as time goes on. Hey, look, I don't disagree with that. I 100% agree. I 100% agree with somebody should install a moon wallet on their phone, put some, some sats into lightning and learn how to use it and all that. And I'm, I agree with all of that. All I'm saying is to all you Bitcoiners out there pounding the table saying, you got to do it this way. Relax, right? If we're going to get wealthy families in this thing, institutions in this thing, you need to give them room to do it in a way that they're comfortable with. That's all I'm saying. So the last thing I'll say on this topic, and then we can move on, is, you know, when you're securing your Bitcoin, it's helpful and probably a good idea to just consider that whatever Bitcoin you have is like 10x as valuable as it currently is. I mean, just treat it like it's going to 10x in value because that can happen quick, as we've seen, right? I mean, the, the, Bitcoin goes on these runs and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, shit, you know? Like what I thought was a little bit and, you know, I was, I was okay with my setup is now a lot and I'm maybe not okay with my setup. So you want to kind of, you know, treat it as though it's 10 X more valuable. And then maybe, you know, you'll have a little bit better setup when that time comes and when it comes quickly. Right. I mean, can you fucking imagine if Bitcoin went to a million dollars in 90 days, I'd be freaking the fuck out. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think all of us would be. <laughs> so like, you just got to treat it like that shit could happen because it could. I mean, like, you know, there's a small, as Foss says, there's a non-negligible chance like that that could happen. I don't think it will. But like, you know, even on, on, on the, the chance that it like 10x is over the next five years, like that's still a lot of, you know, that, that's a big increase in a fairly short amount of time. You want to be, you know, absolutely certain that you're ready for it. Right. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. That kind of increase over that period of time allows somebody the time that they need to digest Bitcoin, to digest information, and to slowly and iteratively move forward with their own custody and their own security. If they're serious about learning about it, but a lot of people come in and they think of Bitcoin as an investment. They'll just buy a chunk. And they'll leave it on an exchange or, or maybe they'll buy a chunk, they'll put it on a Trezor. They'll put that in a safe and they'll just forget about it. You know, like a lot of people do it that way, Peter, you know, 
And so then they come back five years later and they're like, holy shit, this is, you know, 90% of my net worth now. What the fuck? What am I going to do? Right? So you're going to be happy that you have it on a, on a treasure and it's secure. That's maybe, what you're going to do. Maybe. Or, you know, or like you didn't properly back oh it up. God. You can't get in because you forgot the pin. Like, you know, I mean, things oh happen. God. You're just, you're afraid of falling off the tree and rolling a little too far away, getting squished and eaten and all those things. And you just got to let people do what they're going to do one step nah, at a that. time. Fuck that. Bitcoin is a very serious thing. <laughs> and you come, if you come into Bitcoin without being serious about it, you're going to lose your Bitcoin. So like, you have to be fucking serious about Bitcoin if you want Bitcoin. You know what I'm saying? No fucking I would, I would also say, I would also say, if at all possible, find somebody who's been around Bitcoin for a while, who's experienced, who can help you avoid the landmines. Find a mentor in this thing. Like, don't just listen to some fucking random dudes doing shows on YouTube, right? Unless they're Ben BTC Sessions. That guy's okay. But everybody else, you should probably almost immediately suspect and find people who are Bitcoiners who've been around for a while that, that you, you can trust. I mean, how do you figure that out? Well, you know, discernment, time, all that kind of stuff. But if you can, find some mentors and, and that will help you avoid landmines. All right, let's move on. Unless anybody else has any final comments on this. Hey, can I jump in real quick? 23 is good to hear. Yvette. Hey, good morning. Good morning, brother. Hey, good morning. Good morning. You're all awesome. Uh, uh, hello from Northern New Mexico. So, I mean, just simple add in here, like, I'm such an analog dude, man. I am not a techie person. I couldn't even write a Word document, honestly. I'm not saying I'm not smart enough. I just don't spend any time. I'm like, I'm a builder, a carpenter, a welder, a blacksmith, and I got into Bitcoin 14, and I have just had no problems at all, like buying it, downloading wallets since then, putting in cold storage, creating passwords. You know, you don't do anything stupid. You don't just like send off a Bitcoin in one shot. You send off, you know, a tiny amount. You practice. But I'm just here to say if there's anybody new, like if I figured that shit out, like anybody can just be smart, be careful and take your time. Man, if Peter figured it out, you can too. <laughs> All right. Good stuff. Thanks for uh, contributing that. All right. Let's move on. These, this is what's going on. And this is why I think people need to take this seriously and, and consider it urgently. Um, this Operation Choke Point thing, when it first started happening and Nick Carter wrote about it, I was kind of like, man, maybe it's happening. Seems circumstantial, yada, yada. But there's a bunch of stuff occurring right now that's kind of got me rethinking that. Um, I will leave it up to you to make your own decision, but this is what's happening right now. now number one. Block shares have plunged after noted short seller Hindenburg Research said the company's flagship cash app facilitates crime and lacks strong compliance controls. Now, my humble opinion, hit peace. Anytime they start bullet pulling out this crap about facilitates crime and lacks strong compliance controls, that sounds politically driven. So if it's politically driven, that is a different animal. I'll explain why. I was around for the first Operation Choke Point. I was in the gold industry. So what was the first Operation Choke Point? Very briefly, it was not a regulated, it was not like, passed, it wasn't driven by regulation. There was no laws passed. It was basically the current administration at the time said to the regulators, 
I want you to push this out kind of through the grapevine, so to speak. It was all back channel. It was quiet. You didn't hear anything about it in the news. But essentially what was happening is they created a list of businesses. These were, I will emphasize, these were completely legal businesses. All right. But they basically said, we don't like these kinds of businesses. What we want you to do if you're a bank or a financial institution is if you have clients who you determine are part of these businesses in these industries, you are to debank them. Now, again, this wasn't a regulation. There were no regulations passed doing this. There were no laws passed doing this. These were basically, it was under threat of, of regulatory kind of uh, inspection and, and essentially they were like, look, you either do this or we're going to crawl up your butt with a microscope and a hundred regulators in your business. And we're essentially going to shut you down effectively unless you do this. Okay. And it became kind of a cultural shift in the financial industry. And it was for businesses like firearms and gold, and there's a whole host of other ones. All right. How do I know this happened? Well, because I worked in the gold business and we had a number of banks that got shut down on us. And basically with no, no explanation, they would just shut the accounts and we would have to go find other banking platforms. All right. So when people are trying to convert us dollars into gold, we would run into this kind of thing. And, um, it, right now, it seems like it is a full court press. When they, the, the thing that's different is back then, as I was saying, it was kind of under the table behind the scenes. Now, if they're coming out with sort of political hit pieces, this tells me it's, it's, this is a different flavor of Operation Choke Point. They're going full court press. It's out in the public. They're demonizing the industry. That is a completely different thing. I think Ter Terrence was first. Oh yeah, uh, so real quick. Um, I know a guy who started a gold for Bitcoin business. So you send in Bitcoin to this company and they, so, sorry, you send in gold to this company and they send you back Bitcoin. Um, so people just had gold lying around and send it in. One day, um, the Fed showed up and they stayed and stayed and stayed. <laughs> they just wouldn't leave and it was tough for business. And so finally, after months of this crap, um, the found, you know, the founders, like what we're doing is legal. Like we, you know, talk to you guys, we've gone to core, we've had lawyers, um, we want like what's going on. And they're like, we know it's legal, but you're just not going to be allowed to keep operating. So we're just going to stay here until you shut down. <laughs> so he gave up and shut down. It, he wasn't doing anything illegal, but the, the feds didn't like it. They thought it should be illegal, and they just gave him a really hard time. Crazy. And that's right. why uh, gold for Bitcoin businesses. Well, I know of one. Tomer? Yeah, I, I mean, I think this is an important moment for the banks. I think last time at Operation Choke Point, they betrayed their client base. They capitulated. And if the banks aren't going to, you know, there's that famous expression, first they came for the communists and they came, and I said nothing because I was not a communist. Then they came for the Jews and I said nothing because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me and there was no one left to stand for me. 
I, I think this is a really important moment for the banks to decide whose side they are on. Are they lackeys of the government and they will debank people with like, this is, this is in a sense worse than what happened in Canada In Canada, at least they had to invoke the emergency measures act and do so publicly in order to tell people that they were going to be debanked for doing something that the government saw as a direct threat, doing things behind the scenes without any public awareness is it's actually worse. It's covert. And, and the banks really need to take sides here and say, you know what, we stand behind protecting our customers' money and their right to be our customer. I'm not saying that they will, uh, but some banks, if there's enough of them, might stand up for the right of people who have every legal right to use the banking system, to use the banking system. So it's also a, me a measure of how much integrity it remains at the banks. And I think that's a really important thing to keep an eye on because any bank that participates in debanking people who are doing nothing wrong at the influence of, uh, of government should be called out and should be shamed because every, every depositor in that bank should know that if they become slightly out of shape or with the government, they might lose their banking privileges because that bank is spineless. Yeah. But here's the thing in practice. That's completely irrelevant now. Like ever, really ever since FATCA, which was the Foreign Accounting Tax Compliance Act, they've basically strong-armed every financial institution on the planet to comply. And they, they even, so I remember, how many of you guys remember this? When they created this concept of compliance, just the word compliance, think about it. They're making you do what they want you to do and they're training you to do it. There are literally compliance departments in every financial facing company on the planet today. That didn't exist 20 years ago. At least if it did, it was in very, very small measure compared to what it is today. So like, I don't think ethics at this point well, or doing what's right by your customers has anything to do with it. I think they're all fucking trained to obey. Excuse my well, French, I, but that's how no, I feel I, about I, it. I do think you know, every, everyone's got a chief compliance officer. Bitcoin doesn't, I, they haven't even written, Bitcoin hasn't even announced an intention to hire a chief compliance officer. So it is a bank that uh, has no employees, let alone any intent to comply with any edicts. But it is, I, I'm with you, Alex. Like, I think that this is, uh, that this has gone pretty far and there's this desire to comply with anything that's said, because that makes you seem to be a good citizen. And I, I'm just trying to point out to people who are listening, complying is not always being a good citizen. Just following orders is not an excuse to do something immoral. And so we, I'm just hopeful that there's enough banks out there, uh, smaller banks, obviously, who are, who have leadership that has prepared to say, well, we'll comply with that, which is sound and rational and moral and, uh, and otherwise, well, prepared to take on a challenge. I do think, I know this is going to shift to like the very next store, which is the coin, like Coinbase now finds itself having to not comply or having been non-compliant and trying right. to mount a defense. Settle down there. Settle I'm down there, Tomer. We're not ready to talk about Coinbase yet. All right. Peter and then Greg Foss. Okay. First of all, um, in regards to block, if I'm going to establish a short position, and um, 
I want that short position to be successful. Of course, I want the worst possible news to be spread on CNBC. And I am going to everything I can to market that news. This is our fiat fucky system and how it works. As far as the banks go and operation point, if the federal government is giving me the license to counterfeit money legally, I am going to do whatever they tell me to do to maintain that license. That is our banking system. Mm. Yeah, maybe. Greg Foss. Hey, good morning, guys. Um, so, um, you know, yes, okay, look, short selling. Uh, it is part of the business. Uh, people can take issue with it. Um, lots of shorts get squeezed. Uh, the research comes out, obviously, with a bias to the short, uh, the short position that the account already has on. Uh, look at um, uh, Bill Ackman and all the research he did with that uh, uh, vitamin company or whatever. I'm drawing a blank. And it was him against uh, Carl Icahn. And it Herbal was Rice. Yeah. Okay. So look, at the end of the day, there's fraud everywhere. And short sellers try to uh, uh, expose fraud. Um, I'm a personal, my personal belief is that short selling is valuable in, uh, a true, uh, market because, uh, short selling is, uh, actually asymmetric risk to the downside, right? Because a stock can go to infinity. Uh, now not, not many stocks do go to infinity, but, uh, you short something at less than infinity and it goes to infinity. Uh, you've lost your entire business. So. That being said, uh, yeah, there are a lot of scammers in the short selling business. Uh, I'm not going to say much about Hindenburg Research. I'm somewhat familiar with them. I would just question how much Bitcoin they own. And if they don't own any, then uh, you can probably uh, generate an IQ test on uh, on their research right from that uh, uh, little little metric right there. Um, going back to uh, the bigger picture, Tomer, brilliant. Look, um, there are still 5,000 banks in the USA and not every one of them is going to have the same business model or business plan. And uh, eventually there'll be banks like Caitlin Long's that do differentiate themselves. Um, I sent out a tweet the other day that, you know, uh, Bitcoin is becoming very, uh, is fracturing society. You're either a believer or you're not. And I'm sort of okay with that at this point. Like, uh, you know what, it's Darwinism. Um, I said the other day, the, uh, the lion doesn't care when he eats the antelope. Okay. Like fuck these antelopes at the end of the day, if it has to happen, it has to happen. And this is why, you know, we have too much abstract power versus real power. We talked a little bit about that yesterday. So the banking system is going to differentiate itself, uh, Tomer, if it is going to survive and it may not survive, like it, that's totally uh, a potential, but I'm talking decades into the future. Um, but just look at what Larry Fink, uh, the, the uh, CEO of BlackRock, the world's largest asset manager, came out today and he said they support financial innovation. They support digital assets. Now, they didn't differentiate between Bitcoin, but they believe the USA is falling behind on financial innovation. And they also said this is consumers who now have a choice to... Uh, protect themselves against the banking crisis. This is Larry Fink, the man who is in charge of $10 trillion of assets. Now, they're not perfect. They have ESG flaws and, you know, ETFs that are set up for the woke tard crowd and everything like that. But look, this is competition and this competition will 
generate win winners and losers. So I'm more in the middle. Um, I understand the, uh, you know, the, the people that'll just, uh, uh, you know, don't use the word, uh, easily, but Peter to this, to this, uh, the state, right? Like, uh, don't Peter to the state, just sit and, and you, there will be people that do, but at the end of the day, uh, there'll be people that, that try and resist it for competitive, uh, means as well. And so I'm somewhat hopeful guys. Um, that being said, I also am 60 and maybe I don't understand how old, the, uh, or excuse me, how quickly the world is moving. Um, but Tomer, uh, yeah, look back at history and look back at everything. It, it's slow creep, right? And you're, you're very, you know, very true when all of a sudden they were putting stars on people's doors in Germany and they never saw it coming and then they blame it on that. So yeah. don't let it happen. It's, you know, I've, I've had people, former, you know, colleagues of mine, still friends, people who say things like, um, like back in the day of the gold thing, observing the problems with the fiat system and just thinking, you know, like, why hasn't this thing blown up? And I've heard people say, well, it's, it's the slowest train wreck in history. So, so Greg, you're right. I mean, things can take way, way, way longer than you think. However, the flip side of that is when that waterfall effect hits, when that phase transition hits, when that psychological move hits, that will happen extremely fast. And if you're not prepared for it in advance, that might not be so good for you. So let's look at some of these other data points. CBDCs, I'm going to read a quote from Jan Pritzker. CBDCs will be first offered to the poor as bailouts, similar to digital food stamps, but more programmable only spent on milk and only by this Friday or it expires. Most likely scenario, it will be heralded as an innovative way to make our economy great again. You were warned. Jan Pritzker, CTO of Swan Bitcoin. I think he's right. I think that's right on. I think you're seeing basically a two-pronged approach here. And this very much lines up with the guidance from the BIS on this issue. And that guidance was contain it, meaning block the on-ramps and the off-ramps. Um, and do everything else you can to issue in the CBDC. So with that said, Jacob, if you're ready with that video, I think this is a time, a, a timely time to play it. Basically, this is Balaji. You guys heard this guy saying, oh, and Bitcoin's going to go to a million funny. US dollars per coin within 90 days. Not sure I agree with that. But listen to this guy's reasoning specifically around this topic. Roll it. And you know, what's funny is, um, I am not, neither of us, I don't think, you know, I'm not a Bitcoin maximalist, but we're all going to be Bitcoin maximalists now. Okay. What I mean by that is the Bitcoin maximalist philosophy. And again, I recognize that many of its exponents and so on are like insane and it's all true. But unfortunately, you're going to kind of need insane people for what is about to happen. Okay. Their worldview is the closest. Most people, most of our people don't have any idea of what's coming. Okay. But Bitcoin maximalists are maybe the only people on earth who are prepared for the potential sovereign default of the US dollar and the rise of Bitcoin and the concept of hyper-Bitcoinization where the reserve currency switches over to BTC and all fiat around the world like basically collapses relative to the hardest money around, right? And basically what the, what the US has done, what the Fed has done is it's caused the fiat crisis. It's not really just a banking crisis, it's a fiat crisis. Because the crisis of having everything centralized in one place and them all screwing it up in the same way at the same time and lying to everybody with uncheckable things. Every single thing 
that the most intense Bitcoin maximalist would say, you know, for example, I posted that meme of, you know, you could sell your Bitcoin for millions someday. He's like, Neo, when you're ready, you won't have to, right? Because like selling for a trillion Zimbabwe dollars, right? So hyper-Bitcoinization, which is the simultaneous rise of Bitcoin and transition to reserve currency and the crash of other fiats against it, is going to be a huge mess um, because I think it's going to come much faster than people think because with all this printed money, we've got about three months before this CBDC gets out there where you're still a free man, you know, and you might be able to wire it out and you might be able to turn some of it into BTC and hold that locally. And that is basically the way, like th that is a way that we might preserve some degree of freedom on the other side of this. Because either it's a, go ahead. I know that sounds, see, I don't normally talk like this, right? All right. Point is, he believes within 90 days, the on-ramps, off-ramps, the options are going to be a lot less than they are right now. Go ahead, Greg. Well, I, I, okay. So I listened to that interview. Um, I have to tell you, I didn't know who he was before this prediction. And I, uh, only going to say this, I think wicked, uh, brought up probability analysis and expected value analysis. And that's how you have to live your life. It's not a 0% chance that it doesn't go to, uh, a million dollars in uh, 90 days. Now I don't think it does either. And I think the betting line would be highly unlikely, but not certain. So what would you do? Would you put, how would you wager your bet on that outcome? And the point is that's how you have to, uh, do expected uh, value that's, analysis. That's right. Not, that's not why I played the video. Okay. Listen. Okay. So thing. what has he I done? The what video because at what the very end. Yep. What has he done, Alex? At the very end, he basically said, yeah, go ahead. At the end of the video, he basically said that you have a certain amount of time. Correct. And, and what I, I understood from that is you have, to, you have a certain amount of time to convert some of your dirty fiat dollars into Bitcoin. I love him. Before now you he, don't have that option anymore. Uh, okay, that's true. That could be a case. I don't actually happen to think that case is coming in 90 days either. However... What if he's right and I'm wrong? At the end of the day, do the math. I love the fact that he got people to do the math. And the only other thing I'm going to throw out is we've been talking, when I say we, the Bitcoin maxi crowd. And by the way, lots of people will define me as not being a Bitcoin maxi because you know what? I actually own other assets beside, besides Bitcoin, but I don't care. I think of myself as a Bitcoin maxi, particularly in the digital asset realm, because when it comes right down to it, okay, Jeff Booth. Dr. Jeff, James Lavish, myself, Larry Lapard have always looked at the credit default swap market on the USA as the number one leading indicator as to the temperature of people believing that the USA is getting closer to default on the fiat currency. My God, like we've been banging that drum for, I've been banging that drum for over three years now. Okay. It's the way I come up with a valuation and intrinsic value of Bitcoin that is, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars today because of the CDS market. And I think people will do the math more. I don't always, I never put a time frame. Terrence knows this. I don't put a time frame on a price target. I, I'm not smart enough to do that. I'm barely smart enough to come up hey, with Greg. a price target. Yeah. Greg, I'm going to, I'm going to outline a potential scenario for you. I want you to imagine this. These guys are flying this airplane. They know the airplane is about to basically, for whatever reason, not be able to fly anymore. I'm talking about the fiat system. 
they're bringing the airplane in. It's a gigantic, let's call it an Airbus 380, super wide body aircraft. And the landing field is full of fucking holes. It's been bombed all to shit and it's on fire. And they're like, this is not a good place to land. So what I'm saying is maybe what they're doing is they're thinking, okay, we need to divert. We cannot land on this airfield. Shut down all the on-ramps and off-ramps into the exits, as Madame Lazard would say, right? And then divert. You turn the plane 90 degrees to the left and you land on a different airfield called CBDC. I'm not talking about okay. watching for the collapse of the dollar. What I'm talking about is what this sounds like to me, if this Operation Choke Point thing is real, is... You better take this shit seriously. And if you're going to buy Bitcoin, do it. Stop waiting. All right. Yeah. Amen, brother. Amen. Tomer? Yeah, I think when you, when you listen to Balaji, because he's, he's out there, he's out there with new theory. He's attracting a lot of attention to it. Is, and yes, everything uh, Greg points out is there's probabilities behind these things. So it's not at the end of the 90 days, it'll be one of these things. But like, is he right? Is he wrong? Or is he lying? And, you know, and you have to listen carefully to every piece of what he's saying with a lot of, um, with a very critical ear, because if you just say, everybody wants to believe all of these predictions when they come out, you know, Bitcoin's going to a quarter million, Bitcoin's going to a million in short, in short order, in short time. If you listen to the whole of his prediction, it's not, it, it's going to a million dollars, not, not in a fun way, right? It's, this isn't going to be something where we're all we're all happy. It's going somewhere in a way where access to on-ramps will be restricted. There will be a hyperinflation event. That means people's savings will be wiped out. This is not a prediction of something good happening in the world. And it's, it's a measure of some protection. You know, it's a, it's a rallying cry to say, get yourself into Bitcoin, get, you know, save a seat on the lifeboat. Um, and so this comes back to the probabilities that Craig is talking about. It's like, well, if he's 10% right, 1% right, are you, you know, what sort of insurance policy are you prepared to pay? So yeah, here's my math fair. question. Tomer, my math question right now is, what maybe, is maybe the market saying? Nope. Okay, sorry. Go, go. Yeah, yeah. Over to you. It, it is, when you listen carefully, what, what, what can you understand about what, what, is, what is true in his mind about what triggers the hyperinflation event? And he put out another thread this morning that was really saying, uh, Jerome Powell's quarter point increase is not really an increase, right? It's the smallest increase he can really put forward. They're, the facilities are going to get used extensively. There's all sorts of bailouts. There's all sorts of printing still going on. There still will be runs on the bank. So you have to take, again, you have to ass assess whether you believe that that is accurate or not. Um, it's, and everything he's saying is, is plausible, but improbable. I, I'll pass it over to you now, Greg. Well, okay, so play a quick math game. What is the chance the market right now is saying he's right? And what you do is you take the market price today, right. which is Here, Here's the thing, though, Greg. You're, nobody's arguing with your math, right? I think your math is right. I think what people are trying to say here is, what if the math that you're talking about is an indication that the airplane is actually landing on the bombed-out burning airfield versus diverting? This is what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, if the plan is to divert, maybe you're not going to see that. Um, 
like the way I'm viewing this is you know, the thing about the compliance, this is, this is a cultural signal to me, and this is just my opinion, but it seems to me that, you know, and, and Greg, you know, this from, from talking to, to, to Lowry about this, Low, one of the things that Lowry says in his book, don't hate me for talking about this. I, I think it's interesting is, is that human beings have be, in the West, especially have become largely domesticated creatures. All right. History proves that pacifism is a security hazard. I'm quoting him. This is my point. Just because you're calmed and peaceful, see domesticated, does not mean that there are not lizard people out there that will eat you alive because they have not lost their predator instinct. Just because we have become domesticated animals doesn't mean there's not bad stuff out there. You've heard that quote, see peace, pachem parabellum, right? I mean, you win, want, you, win. you win, you win, you win. You're right. You are, you win, point given. Okay, fuck the math. This is absolutely a potential outcome, but over to you. <laughs> All right. Well, continue to discuss, but, but I guess what I'm saying is I agree with Tomer. Understand the pathway to the lifeboats on the Titanic and have a seat reserved. Either that or fight with the masses and try to get a seat when people actually realize this shit's going down. I mean, I mean one way to, to then express this in math is that sure, every $25,000 or so of savings that you have, for every mil, sorry, for every million dollars of savings that you have, you should buy one Bitcoin. So if you have half a million dollars in savings, you should buy half a Bitcoin. If you have a quarter million dollars in savings, you should buy a quarter Bitcoin. That's not a very expensive insurance policy, right? Um, and if he turns out to be wrong and you, you bought a quarter Bitcoin, it's probably not going to zero. <laughs> it, like, it may still go up even. So it's so like, and I, I think this is the rationale. If you're going to give any credit to what he says at all, it's like, it's a very inexpensive insurance policy against something that's an outlier, right? So it's like hurricane insurance. Very few of us would say, oh, I think it's 60, 70% probable that he's right that within 90 days, but your policy doesn't expire within 90 days. Your Bitcoin lasts forever. It generally tends to go up. It, it's. It's not far from its low point. So when you start to do the math, it's like, you know, I, I should maybe start thinking about this, not as a get rich quick scheme, but as a preserve my savings uh, alternative. And it's different from saying, well, I'm going to do it by buying stocks because you don't know what's going to happen with stocks because they have a different risk profile. Uh, the, the company may be in trouble, right? Like it could be a bank. It could be some other sector that turns out to be vulnerable. Should this happen? The one thing that we don't really think is going to be vulnerable is Bitcoin because it's unlikely that math is going to go out of business or that physics is going to go out of business. Like they're not in business. Um, and, and they, and again, it's not like, uh, Bitcoin is going to comply with some order to stop. It has no compliance department. So it is, it, it is just. I think what his hypothesis puts forward is to make people think about Bitcoin as insurance. And I know Greg's been talking about this in the past. And the more you look at it, the more you realize it's pretty inexpensive insurance. Even if you believe it might go to zero in 90 days, it, you know, if, if you believe that there's some percent likelihood of the outcome coming true, then it's still sensible, but it's not going to go to zero in 90 days. It's probably going to go up in 90 days, possibly not financial advice. 
just thinking about insurance. I just don't think that if these folks who are flying the airplane, who are planning to divert onto a different runway, are going to let people see that sign you're talking about, Greg. I think they know as well as you do that if humanity sees the numbers you're talking about playing out, it's already too late. They need to divert the plane before people understand what the hell is happening. I agree. Alex, look, uh, again, this is within my probability spectrum. Uh, I can only say it this way. I think that Balaji's price target is one half too low because my price target is twice as high as his. I just don't put a 90-day time frame on because I don't have to. I own Bitcoin for my kids and I price it in today's dollars. So people who say that my $2.5 million price target is very bearish, don't forget, I'm saying it's in today's dollars. So I wouldn't be surprised if it went in 90 days to uh, to a million bucks because it's only half of the price I think it should get to. I'm just not putting a time frame on it. I'm going to flip this over for discussion later, hopefully. You know what's hilarious? UBS stock price is hilarious, okay? So if you want to throw, sh uh, you know, throw shit on uh, people who are throwing shit on the insurance system, they just bailed out a toxic bank with another bank that was, should be in the intensive care unit. That's uh, UBS. And it's got a $60 billion market cap for trillions of dollars of on balance sheet and off balance sheet uh, exposure. And here's the crazy part. They use an instrument that just got zeroed by the Swiss regulators, those cocoa bonds. So if you want to play a dichotomy, look at UBS. I'm predicting UBS is on the way to where Credit Suisse was when I first started calling Credit Suisse going down about two years ago. I'm not sure when it's going to happen, but UBS will likely need a bailout, okay? And who bails out UBS? Oh, they're not in the European Union. Oh, interesting. Okay, so that means the Swiss National Bank. What does the Swiss National Bank own? Oh, a fucking ton of Apple shares and a ton of all, uh, stocks. So, Tomer, if you want to look at something that could take contagion into a huge puke fest, just look at the solution that they put on the table. And did you see how many times Jerome Powell touched his nose yesterday when they queried him on the, uh, the UBS takeover? The man was so uncomfortable. His sphincter was tight as a fucking nut. His nose was running, okay? You guys got to learn how to play poker and understand when a guy has nothing in his hand. He was bluffing. He was so uncomfortable on the podium. That is the real outcome. This fucking plane, it could try to land wherever it wants. The pilots are drunk. They don't even know where the next fucking landing strip is, Alex. They are flying blind. They're flying drunk. Which is even scarier. All right. Quick shout out. We've got a lot of people requesting you come up right now. Um, two things. We're going we're gonna to try to give people a voice here, but there are, there are a lot of folks that, that have a lot of experience in this area. We're going to lean more towards them if possible. Um, also, if you're on an Android, even if you request and we try to bring you up, we can't. We're, we'll, we'll try, but there's a thing right now where Androids can't join. Let's go to Dom Bay and then Brad Mills. What's up, everyone? I'm going to give a commoner's insight and then, like you said, let the big dogs talk. Um, I love the plane reference. And lately, instead of thinking about what the folks driving the plane are going to do, I find the whole million-dollar bet thing pointing towards knowing what they're not going to do. 
And Bitcoin, Bitcoin is something that they're not going to do. So by holding it, that, that reference to the plane is so amazing because if you're flying a plane and you got 300 souls on board, your eyes are as wide as possible. You are looking at every object. You're, you're calculating things. You're not just going, okay, I'll do this. If that's, if that's the U.S. times that by a million, put all the lives on, on board and add a team of, of thousands of bright people. So I never try to kind of, you know, there's some folks that are incompetent and sleep at the wheel, but I never kind of let go of that fact. And I think the great thing about that million dollar on Bitcoin is that's not an option right now for them to land on. Maybe it is, but it is a long shot option where all signs are not pointed at it. So the beauty about holding, you know, I can, I can go for a nice walk in the park. I don't need to worry about that, what their options are because I have the plan and more than the price, I have access to the community, a financial community that is on the rise, that's vibrant. So that's, that's what I kind of took away from that million dollar versus the price point, which can obviously, it's important to all of us, but it can be distracting. Fair, fair point. Well said. Brad, what are you thinking? Greg, um, you know, you, you've been saying for a while, like years now, three, four years since we first started talking that the Canadian banking system was papering over a lot of it and not and like the, the, the risk in the Canadian banks and the Canadian bonds were just not accurately measured. And I wonder what your updated thoughts there are as these national banks are starting to have to failures of the big banks. Um, how does that show up? Like, what are we, what are we looking for to see cracks in the system at like the sovereign level for these, you know, like Swiss national bank or the bank of Canada? Like, what are we, are we looking for CDS spreads to go up? Like, how do you, how do you see the risk starting to show up? Yeah. Thanks, Brad. Um, you know, that's, that's the, the litmus test for everything. As far as I'm concerned, is just the CDS on the sovereign debt of the nation, because the banks can be too big to fail, which doesn't mean that their equity value doesn't get zeroed out. Right. It just means that the depositors get bailed out. Uh, there's not what's called a bail in and, you know, Canada has a markedly different, uh, banking system than the United States. It always has. Uh, we have basically eight national banks, coast to coast banking. We didn't have what was called interstate banking laws in the United States that required, uh, by and large banks to just operate within their own, their own state that, that has changed. But how do I see it coming, uh, best reflected? I think Brad is your, uh, would be your, uh, number one question. Yes. Credit default swap spreads. So CDS spreads on sovereign nations, and that is easy to find. You don't need a Bloomberg for it. You can get it off the internet and you can watch it. Now, the reality is Canada CDS on Canada is an illiquid contract. It doesn't trade enough, uh, relative to the other large G seven nations to get an accurate read. That's just the nature of Canada. We don't even have many accounts that actually trade credit default swaps in Canada. That's how backward ass our financial system is. Um, so who owns the bank? Greg, is that, is that because the, um, oh, one sec. 
Well, I'll, I'll just keep going. Uh, basically, look, Brad, I don't want to call for the downfall of the Canadian banks. I will just say this. That banking is banking, okay? They're all 20 times or more levered to their ca equity capital base. When you're 20 times levered, bad things happen when you get a either run on the bank or when you get a commercial real estate uh, uh, debacle or where you get a residential real estate debacle or you get credit card debacles. All of these add to pressures on the system and it will be reflected in lower stock prices, loss of confidence in the banks, and sometimes, yes, even a run on the bank. I'm not predicting it. I'm just saying those are the risk levels to look for. So watch credit default swaps always. One of the proudest moments of my life is when people are now uh, quoting credit default swap spreads on Capital One Financial. How do you actually, it, it, how do you know that things are actually permeating the common person because they are looking for credit default swap spreads on Capital One Financial. What is Capital One Financial? Uh, basically subprime credit card debt. Hey, history doesn't repeat, but it sure does rhyme. Look for the instruments that will, uh, that will indicate stresses in, in the system. So hopefully that helps. If we can take it offline, Brad, as always, if, uh, if I didn't answer your question specifically. No, it did. It, it is helpful. Uh, one sort of diving in a little bit more on that thing that I wanted to ask you about was the, the, the amount of debt that got issued in the United States over the pandemic was pretty obscene, something like $9 trillion, $10 trillion, whatever it was. But U.S. bonds are a lot more liquid and uh, in demand, even though they're kind of concerned with treasury market demand and liquidity for the amount of debt that needs to get monetized there. But in Canada, I was shocked when I recently found out that you know, we printed more money. Correct. Like Trudeau printed more money than any prime minister in history ever has. And the Bank of Canada actually bought 90% of all the new bonds. And on a, on a per capita basis, we printed more than the United States when you consider provincial debt included in there. Okay, Brad? So, yes, USA. So does that, does that mean, Greg, then that like the reason why you wouldn't necessarily see credit default swaps on Canada's debt go up is because it's the freaking government that owns the debt already. No, anyways, no, or what? no, no, no. It's the same exact thing in the United States. So our central bank works exactly the same way as the Federal Reserve works the same way that the ECB works. So, yeah, no, that that's absolutely not the reason. One of the reasons just is, and I hate to say this out loud, no one fucking cares about Canada. Like, can I say it any other way? Canada is a fucking rounding error on the global stage. We don't even matter as much as California. And most Americans can't find us on a fucking map, okay? So let's just live in your attic risk-free and not shake any alarm bells too fucking much. Because if the, if the Americans realize that it's not raccoons in their attics, it's actually people with oil and natural gas yeah. and, the most, <laughs> and the most fresh water in the entire fucking world is in Canada. I don't know. Maybe Joe Rogan or whoever did say, uh, Tucker Carlson said that the USA should invade Canada. Hey, I don't fucking want to get invaded. Well, you know what? I actually wouldn't, given what we have right now. Yeah, I'd rather be part of the USA than being part of Canada. And that's from a fifth generation Canadian. So understand that mathematics works all over the world. So does time. Is someone's going to spend their time analyzing what is the next bomb to explode? Don't worry about a little firecracker in your attic, okay? Worry about the fucking nitroglycerin in your 
basement or on the main floor. So that's Canada in a nutshell. We don't fucking matter. We have a prime minister who thinks that budgets balance themselves. And by the way, take over Alberta and you've got everything that Canada has of any value and throw out the rest of the fucking garbage. All right. Uh, we are at the top of the hour. Let's do an announcements real quick and we'll keep rolling. I want to hear from Tom Bayes as well. You've been listening to Cafe Bitcoin. Good morning and welcome. If you've never been here before, we do talk about Bitcoin as well as lots of other things that intersect with Bitcoin. It is the place for your morning news. Preferred hangout for some of the smartest minds in the industry. Also a podcast on Fountain, Spotify, and Apple. You can throw me or Swan a follow to be notified of when those drop. We have hard money coming up with Natalie Brunel today at 1 p.m. Eastern. You can check that out on Swan's YouTube channel. Also tonight, there's going to be another space, Swan Space, UCLA versus Gonzaga. We're going to be having a, a watch party with Dante Cook, Armani Cotton, and Nico. Uh, also talking about Bitcoin for businesses and how you can get Bitcoin on your business balance sheet. Check out bitlist.com if you have a if you're a Bitcoiner and you have a business, legit business, business license website, all that stuff. If you're a Bitcoiner and you want to um, buy from other Bitcoiners, that's a place to check out. Finally, Swan is sponsoring the Toxic Happy Hour Play Party in Miami on May 18th. There should be a link up in the nest. I'm going to that. I hope you guys are too. Love to meet you in person. Tone, what are you thinking? Uh, yeah, I know I just had my hand up from before. I was hoping to just... Uh try to get off the topic of Balaji, but it looks like we have moved on. It was right before I joined, uh, people asked me about it on my uh, podcast and I said it was an amazing $2 million promotion because many people have not heard of Balaji and everyone was forgetting about Balaji. And now even Greg Force said, I've never heard this guy before, uh, but a lot of us have heard of him before. Uh, every project he's tried to do in Bitcoin since 2013 was basically laughable. Um, and uh, his real expertise is in the medical field, he was, uh, uh, people actually being the head of the FDA uh, under the Trump administration. So, but somehow he's an expert at like Bitcoin technology as well. Uh, and he's been around for a while, but uh, this was an amazing, uh, I don't know why he decided to bet 2 million. 1 million would have sufficed, but hey, to each their own. Uh, so I just want to, I'm just going to try to get people to move on from that topic, but we already have, so all good. Uh, let me know if you uh, have any other questions for me. Can I uh, step in, guys, with a question for uh, Foss? Please do. Good morning and welcome. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I, uh, I love the space here. This is uh, really informative. It always has been. Um, Foss, I'm a fellow Canadian, um, and I'd love to get your opinion on... Um, the uh, spot BTF that was listed on the TSE um, through Purpose Investments um, with the stock ticker uh, BTCC and what your, what your thoughts are in terms of if we do get like a looming crisis in the banking system, is that, you know, obviously, you know, not your keys, not your coin, but as far as, you know, holding the equivalent of like our RRSPs account, RRSP accounts, do you think that that is something that um, would hold its value or, or be protected in the event of a crisis. Um, that's really my question. Yeah, hey, great to meet you. Um, let's, let's probably take most of this offline, but I will just say this. I own Bitcoin in every possible way you can own Bitcoin. So I own Bitcoin in cold storage. I own Bitcoin on my wallet. Yes, I have a moon wallet. Yes, I'm 60 years old. 
Do I know what the fuck I'm doing half the time? Half the time, maybe. I own GBTC. I own btcc.b, not .u, .b. We can take this offline. People yep. can call me, not your keys, not your coins. And I'll just say, go fuck yourselves, people. I'm 60 years old. I have confidence in ways of investing. And I'll, off I'll also take advantage of a tax system that pays me 50% benefit to own Bitcoin that way. Okay, so if someone's giving me a 50% tax break to own Bitcoin, I'm going to fucking take it. And yes, I'll live with the not your keys, not your coins risk. But I also have my stash in cold storage. Do I have it buried in the backyard like Ant and, and, and Wicked were saying? Holy fuck. I don't know. I actually don't. I have actually hard keys and all that stuff, but I don't have it buried in the backyard. And I'm not sure if I've taken unnecessary risks by not. So at the end of the day, to each his own, let's take it offline. BTCC, the purpose investment vehicle is fucking brilliant because it's a spot ETF God bless America doesn't have one. You're stuck with this piece of shit called GBTC and a bunch of stupid uh, policymakers. Sorry for the rat. Call me offline. Right on. No, I appreciate it. Thanks very much. <laughs> yeah, the only thing I have buried in the backyard is shovels. And if you're looking for them, you're going to find them. Shout out, good guy, biker. Thanks for coming up, KB. Free dumb. Good morning. Morning, guys. So for Foss or Tone or anyone else on the macro front, what is going to be the shoe to drop that's going to finally uh, show recession, show job loss um, in the next 6, 12, 18 months? Go ahead, Tone, and then I'll, I'll try and weigh in. So the definition of a recession has changed a lot uh, with the current administration. So the answer is, I don't know. Uh, if you look at like the Fed charts, because they put that great thing on recession, it seems like the new definition of recession, it has to be a complete uh, economic disaster to the point where no sane person can debate whether it is or isn't a recession. So something like this, something that's been happening for the last year, uh, they're not going to call this a recession. Like people will literally, uh, like the, unemployment rate would have to like a crash. Like we needed something on par with 2008, something on par with COVID. Uh, you're going to need some one of these uh, once in a generation disaster in order for it to call a recession because they will redefine this thing the way they've been redefining uh, what natural immunity is, the way they've been redefining what the vaccine is. We're living in a world of uh, completely new definition and history revision. So if, 1980, if 1984, the book was written today, and George, like a, a remake of that book, Winston would be a Wikipedia admin, and that's his job. That actually was his job. Uh, if only George Orwell saw the internet coming, uh, Winston's job would have been a Wikipedia admin. So the definition of a recession is completely fluid. Uh, so unless there is a, a disaster that like is too obvious, th there will not be a recession on the books for, an, for this period in time. Um, I'm going to take the other side of that bet, but that's why Tone and I are so freaking good, okay? Because if everyone's thinking alike, then somebody isn't thinking, okay? And that's General George Patton, okay? So don't seek out people that are going to say Tone is fucking right. He's, he's not right, but that's Foss saying, and then Tone is going to say Foss is not right. Look, a recession, yeah, the definition versus the reality. Okay, what will be a recession? 
it will be caused by credit contraction. How many times did Powell say credit yesterday? It, it exceeded inflation by about 10 to 1 in the news release. Even he sees it. Credit contraction always leads to a recession, okay? Bar none. So it is coming. It's coming hard. And he can define a negative growth rate however he wants versus a positive inflation rate. But people aren't that stupid, are they? Well, I guess I can say perhaps they are. The, de the, the next big shoe to fall is interest rate risk, which is overwhelmed the banking system, transforms itself into credit risk by the banks stopping lending, credit spreads blow out, high yield debt doesn't roll over because you can't refinance it, bankruptcies, unemployment, all the things that indicate a recession are coming because of a credit event that the U.S. Federal Reserve has effectively engineered. So, Tone, looking forward to seeing you in Vegas, man. I know you're going to take all my money on the poker table, but I think I might have this one in my back pocket. Let's, <laughs> see, let's see where things go. Thanks, yeah, man. It, it, it's going to be interesting because I think the current environment uh, will, like, I think the stock market will rise. Like, I'm still not a bear in the markets. Um, I see a huge rotation of capital out of the bond market because the rates are rising and actually into the stock market. Uh, and um, uh, people that are putting money in bonds and government bonds say, well, we've had this money in this not risky asset making a shit interest. Um, so we're making no profit. We're in a risk-free asset that is not actually risk-free and is actually super risky. So if we're going to keep our money in a risky asset, might as well put it in the stock market where we can actually get a return. And now uh, what can happen is, yes, the economy is going to suck, and the unemployment may tick up, uh, but the stock market will be making new highs. And suddenly, uh, all of these talking heads are going to be, the economy is doing great. Look at the markets. Uh, I, I, respectfully, respectfully, let's take this offline. You're being too smart by a half, okay? Markets always are set on cash flows. When they're not set on cash flows, you don't have a market. Maybe you're telling me we don't have a market, which might be in conjunct with not having a banking system. But nobody in their right mind is putting their money in the stock market right now if they truly understand mathematics and risk tone. Let's, let's do this. Let's understand that there are sometimes no other alternatives for people who are restricted to owning stocks and bonds. I'll agree with that. But if you're not restricted, don't put your money in the stock market. It's, it's well overvalued relative to the risk. Bonds are for turnips, okay? So if you own a bond, you're a turnip, okay? And at the end of the day, find out a way that you can figure out how to own Bitcoin. It is the best asymmetric return opportunity. If you can't own Bitcoin, look at other hard assets, not just stocks. Look at gold, look at silver, look at other hard assets like oil. But don't, don't just assume that everybody's as stupid as the common person. You can't or else capitalism is absolutely baked. Maybe that's what you're saying, right, brother? Maybe capitalism is absolutely baked. I see Alex is jumping in. I, I would love to. I would love to debate this a little bit more, though. This is great. We're gonna shift gears. That's what I was waiting for at the end there. Buy Bitcoin, don't shitcoin. It's bad for you. Uh, Dennis, good morning. What's going on in your world, man? What's going on, guys? Uh, middle of the airport, so. Apologies if you can hear the hustle and bustle around me. Um, on my way to Montana, 
we're going to go, well, I'm going to go uh, testify in support of the right to mine bill over there on the House side, which already passed on the Senate side. So hoping to go continue the legislative success in Montana and, and continue moving the same board. And then after we get it done on the House side, we'll be on to the governor's uh, with a signature there. But yeah, uh, really interesting to see what's going on. I mean, I see the headline of the room with the Wells notice going to Coinbase, uh, the whole Operation Choke Point thing here. You know, there's, it's like mixed reviews for me, right? Like you have this on one hand, you have an overly aggressive government, which I don't like. Um, but on the other hand, as the United States and our government becomes more aggressive and postured towards our industry, it actually pushes us to develop systems that exist outside their control more rapidly. So in some ways, by forcing Bitcoiners and Bitcoin-related companies to have to do business outside the regulated banking systems, they are creating a situation in which the systems that we're building, which will eventually supplant those regulated banking systems, will be built even faster, just purely by force, right? Um, you know, you can, you, in some ways, you kind of have saw this develop a little bit in the marijuana industry, it's federal crime today. I mean, it's, it's funny. I, I've said this many times before. Uh, you know, we don't have it as bad as the marijuana industry, although it does seem to be getting slightly worse in the short term. But it's a federal crime to possess marijuana. It's, you know, there's no sort of federal banking available. But there have been pretty significant technological advances in ways for uh, marijuana dispensaries and as such to be able to access banking and to be able to provide uh, debit and credit card services to their customers. I mean, I live in Portland, Oregon, right? Like, there's there might not be federal banking, but there is very clearly debit and credit card machines uh, in these facilities. Previous to that, a lot of these you know, marijuana dispensary owners and those that work in the industry would have to just dig big, not literally, but dig holes in the back of their yards and bury cash because they had nowhere else to put it. But um, I, I, again, I, I'm negative on the overly powerful governments coming in and trying to choke out the industry, but I am positive on the, you know, long-term results that will come, come to bear because of them trying to attack something that really they can't kill and will cause developers and coders to go out and build things that probably would have been built in any ways in the long-term, but are just going to get built a whole lot faster. Hey guys, I just want to jump in real quick. Uh, like while I was arguing with Greg, I didn't really realize Bitcoin just went up four percent in an hour, and we're about to break the new swing highs. Like, can you are... argue some more then? It, it should go up another four percent if you keep arguing. Terrence, you were one funny dude, man. That's what happens when you wear Gucci. I'm gonna cut you. How's Aspen? Hey, Dennis, thanks for fighting the fight. Somebody had to do it. I know I don't want to be up in the, <laughs> over, over in uh, these uh, hearings uh, and like trying to explain this shit. Hey, Dennis, have you, have you noticed a difference in um, a reception to um, the kind of message that you're putting out? So, yeah, I mean, definitely in DC, it's very different than it was, you know, six months ago, eight months ago. Uh, and also particularly the White House is become very negative in its posture towards, I mean, obviously we all saw the economic report come out from the president's 
uh, desk from the White House, and it took a very negative posture. We see the Operation Choke Point, choke point taking place. Um, it, there's just, from my opinion, some people that were in the White House, that were in the administration, that left. And, and since they have left, things have become much, much worse. But on a state level, it's a totally different game. It's, it's, it's not... What happens in D.C. is people become hyper-focused because of real world events, they become hyper focused on specific things like, you know, tick. I just saw they're doing the TikTok hearings, right? Like DC's hyper focusing on that. Well, now there's a banking crisis, so they're hyper focused on that. And then there was a big marijuana bill that was coming before the Senate. Now they're not focused on that. They're going to focus on whatever the basically the media points their attention onto. Um, but at the state level, there's a lot less concern about you know what's popular in the media. Most state policymakers are more concerned about like how they're going to advance their state, how they're going to bring jobs and economic uh, growth to the state and be able to provide opportunities for people of their jurisdiction. So our conversations haven't changed very much at all. The only thing I will say is that the one thing that really hurts state efforts is when these really big, super negative articles come out from CNN saying like, oh, Bitcoin mining is creating all this noise, pollution, and like it's, it's really uh, disturbing local life because what will happen is that you'll get like the crazy or the really opposed policymaker in, in town will, will grab those articles and be like, oh, see, like this big, big bad Bitcoin mining industry is coming to our town and we need to stop it. So like Operation Choke Point, like nobody's talking about that at the state level. Nobody's talking about um, the banking crisis as it pertains to whether or not we should adopt Bitcoin or Bitcoin mining. It's it's random, really hurtful articles like that. And it's hurtful articles like the one that's going to come from the New York Times, uh, which, you know, I obviously blew the whistle on, which will be coming. We're not exactly sure when. There's been reports that the reporter may actually delay releasing the article up to two to three weeks, uh, partly probably because of what's happening in the banking crisis. He doesn't want say, to overshadow his work. Uh, but also that he's been getting a lot more uh, conversations kind of delayed because of me blowing the whistle. A lot of miners are like hesitant to speak to him now, which is, in, you know, in some ways, I think that's good because now that we know the intent of the article, the intent of the article is to say Bitcoin miners are lying about their energy usage if they're actually not doing that. Bitcoin miners are taking advantage of the tax code and the Bitcoin miners are taking advantage of grid balancing systems and grid balancing programs, which all of those are categorically false. But articles like that, when they drop, it that's what hurts us. The local policymaker picks up the New York Times and shoves it in all the other policymakers' face and says, look at how evil this industry is. And it does create doubt and takes questions in people's minds. So um, not so concerned about what's going on in the media, more so concerned about these kind of what I would call hit pieces. Some people say that's a strong word, but we'll see when the article comes out for sure. But pretty certain it's going to be negative all around. Dumbay. Hey, Dennis, I'm just uh, off of what you're saying. You know, for the last 10 years, I just worked to educate um, legislators for the firefighters um, since retired now. But um, it always baffled me how policymakers and legislators who know very well the process of article writing, the collaboration, the fact that there's 99.9% .9 an agenda will grab the headlines as their only point of education. I mean, and, and, and in my experience, some educated individuals will take that. Uh, I'm curious from you, you know, in part of that shift, are you noticing 
you know, policymakers and legislators kind of like still throwing that out there, but willing to seek deeper education because it's so prevalent on the table right now? Or is there still that, that, you know, huge wall where they just throw that in your face and they go, I don't want to hear from you or other educators because you guys are, are manipulators, con artists, et cetera. Uh, no, fortunately, most policymakers on a state level are, stu are still very receptive to learning about the industry. Most people have not made up their minds. So that's a very positive. Just what you will have is you'll have the people who have made up their mind. There are some uh, who, who really don't like the industry and who want to make sure that we don't have any opportunity to come in to their state. And so they'll pick up those news articles and they'll wave them in the faces of the other policymakers to create doubt, you know, to create FUD. And that's, that's where the problem lies. But no, in general, most policymakers are very receptive to education on the issues. In fact, we're going to be launching a new initiative soon. We haven't announced it yet. Uh, everything's all lined up, but we're going to be dialing up our education and research around Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining, because that is the area that is lacking the most. And, and there's still an opportunity to go and get in front of these guys and spread what is valuable education and research amongst people who are willing to hear it. The problem is that, you know, us in this room, many of us, we've done our own homework, right? We've done our own research and we understand Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining at a deep level, but it's difficult to just take what you know and that you've taught yourself and say, oh, this is the way Bitcoin is or Bitcoin mining. It's like, you have to have credible, you know, some people would say almost like peer review, uh, academic work, case studies that back up what you're saying. Because uh, unfortunately, policymakers will not just take you at three words. So that's one of the things that we're going to be focusing on in the future. Um, you should probably see an announcement on that in the next week or so. Well, if you, if right. you make uh your... I was just going to, when you get to California, I mean, again, a lot of my relationships are on the fire side, but uh, I'm all for helping the cause in any way. So I'll connect with you offline. Thanks, Dennis. All right, I want to shout out to Wade Hoke. Wade works in state government. Wade, I don't know if you're willing to come up here, but he has some insights on how these types of things are currently being accepted and how people think about this stuff at the state level when it comes to legislators and people working in government. So Wade, through you an invite if you want to come up. Brandon. Yeah, Dennis, uh, just a quick question on uh, rounding off some of this topic here, just the uniform commercial code. I know obviously a lot of people here in the space just just making noise about that, just kind of silently coming through state legislatures, uh, trying to work around, you know, Bitcoin, making it money, et cetera. What's the, uh, you know, word on the ground there? Uh, I know you touched on the states a little bit, but just in terms of that, are people starting to be, become more awake on the state side, some of these jurisdictions in, uh, in that regard? Yeah, one of the greatest parts about the UCC uproar is that it led to a nationwide effort to you know, ban CBDC. So you see not only Governor Nome, but Governor DeSantis, and then there's also uh, progress being made in Texas as well. I think the end, the end result of the UCC effort will be that states will try to amend the UCC package to bring clarity around the intent. There is a lot of so it gets very technical on the UCC component, but 
because it's all just crafted by lawyers 24 7 365 uh the words that you are reading don't mean what you think they mean and so what states are going to do is instead of trying to just veto hopefully instead of just vetoing the package which you know i'm not supportive or I don't approve or deny the package broadly, but you know the language specifically that people are concerned about. Um, it needs more clarity so that people can have uh, trust in what it's going to be enforcing or not enforcing. Some people have made very strong arguments that it, it is very positive for Bitcoin and not negative and not necessarily positive for CBDCs either. So I I have seen those legal arguments. Again, I'm not a lawyer, so I I don't. I can't sit here and go, oh, yeah, that's right. That's the perfect, that's exactly the way it should be. I think that lawyers should do a better job of providing clarity around the words that they use uh, because the general public found it to be extremely upsetting um, the way that the language was written. So I think there will be some clarity from states like Texas, eventually states like Florida on the UCC package. But the biggest thing that happened because of that UCC uproar is now, again, you have, you have, politicians competing over who is the most anti-CBDC, right? Uh, Ted Cruz just refiled his anti-CBDC bill, which outright bans the federal, um, uh, the feds from, excuse me, the Federal Reserve from creating and issuing CBDCs to individuals. You have Governor DeSantis, who is working on legislation um, and also working to do something about the UCC. And then now you have something under the way in Texas, which I don't know how much of that information is public, but you will probably see something coming from Texas here in the near term. Very excited about what the things that I have, the calls that I have been a part of um, as it pertains to the UCC CBDC effort. All right. Uh, we have a couple of minutes left. We're going to be shifting gears here shortly. We're going to be bringing up Luxor to get an update from them. Any other uh, thoughts on these topics that we've discussed today, whether it's Operation Choke Point, um, these various things that are happening, uh, and also getting your rails set up to buy Bitcoin, if, in fact, it becomes more difficult to do so? I think right. one thing, oh, sorry, Alex. I think one thing in general. Go ahead. Just, yeah, one thing in general is we saw two years ago and just Bitcoiners continuing to be extremely active, uh, which fortunately that is a thing in the Bitcoin community just in general, fortunately, but uh, just continue being active and, and being allowed. And we saw what, I think it was two years ago, really kind of that the bill that came out, I forget exactly what the bill was. Someone can probably uh, bring it up, but uh, just you know, shouting that down, quite honestly, the UCC, Everything Dennis just talked about and, and Bitcoin is continuing continuing to to carry that mantle um, really for everybody. At the end of the day, it's just it's the three percent, I believe, in the Revolutionary War. And it's gonna be the three percent here too that carry that that freedom mantle as well for Bitcoin. Well said, Brandon. I'm gonna jump down, Alex. Uh, good work, Dennis Porter. Um, and everyone, thanks for all the education. Uh, I'm playing poker with Tone. I'm about as bad a poker player as uh, there is, but I'm not as bad as Jerome Powell. That man is a fucking donkey. Okay, <laughs> see you guys. Bye. Well said, Greg. Well said. Though I'll still take him over Janet Yellen. I think he's just way better. Like, I, hey, Greg and I have argued over Jerome Powell as well before.
if there's like a poker tournament with teams, um, I want Kashikari, man. Like his big eyes and all that. Like if you're very still Ivy, like you never know if the guy's bluffing or not. Kashikari, he's always Colton. Good morning. Good morning, sir. How's it going? Excellent. Thanks for joining us. You have some thoughts here? Yeah, no, thanks for having us again. Okay. Here's the rules of Cafe Bitcoin. If we bring you on stage, you have to say something exciting something or anything or ask a question. Otherwise, we're going to kick you back off. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think before we start and saying something cool, uh, we need to bring but uh, we need to bring on Guzman, Guzman Pintos, and Aaron Foster. Um, they should have requested to speak as well. They'll be helping us more conversation on mining. Um, I guess before kicking uh, to the rest of the team, um, thank you for having us again. Um, we're here independent of you know, all the macro situations and what's currently going on with banks globally. It's uh, because of proof of work, um, you know, and with an upcoming halving is coming. So, you know, it's important to keep uh, our focus on, you know, Bitcoin mining, what got us here. Um, you know, and, and I think well, today we're here to share more and how we see the mining space evolving at Luxor. And what's our current vision for things years forward from now and a decade forward from now? Um, and what it is that we're specifically building at Luxor to help miners continue making more out of their hash. Um, so I don't know if that was cool or not to you, um, but that's what we got for today. I got something cool here. So in the context of all of this stuff, you've got Operation Choke Point, right? It's trying to get rid of the primary sets of on-ramps and off-ramps, right? Well, it's not impossible to imagine that uh, using your power bill to buy Bitcoin is a hell of a lot more sneaky than uh, directly wiring money to a trusted third party. So I'm a big fan of that. I'm doing it myself just to test our firmware out as we brought it online. And I'd encourage anyone to uh, either go look at hosting or, or self-mining if you need to hire an electrician to, to set up your garage or whatever. It's probably the best way to participate in the Bitcoin economy without having to go through the traditional rails. That's actually really fascinating. First of all, let me quickly say, Sultan, apologies, man. I didn't know you were with the Luxor team. I thought you were just some dude coming up here. So uh, apologies and welcome to all your guys. Uh, that concept of using your electric bill to actually buy Bitcoin, you want to explain that a little further? Well, yeah, sure. So, by the way, let me do a quick intro. My name is Matt Lusto. I'm a business development associate here at Luxor. I'm bringing our firmware to market. We just launched it last week. So we're trying to get as many people interested and excited and, and uh, share this product we're really excited about. So in the past uh, three years, four years, on the team, uh, right when I got here, they sent me a J-Pro, an S9, an XP, a, a bunch of new and uh, Bitmain miners to uh, start testing our firmware, right? Because 
we eat our own dog food. I'm not going to go try and convince people to use this stuff, but I don't really believe in it. Um, and the beautiful thing about that is I was mining for the past three or four months. So I've collected a nice little chunk of Bitcoin uh, that is non-KYC sats, right? Like you can stack your, you can build your stack by mining at home. And all you need is an email address to register with a pool. And now you're using your electricity bill to purchase your Bitcoin. Now there's some like state, state sponsored attack is there about like monitoring power usage. They do that kind of stuff with, uh, with, uh, pot growers, I believe, but even still, like that's a fight that we could use easily take to, to legislature and say, oh, like, look, you're discriminating against power users. It's not exactly constitutional. So yeah, I mean, if you want to, if you want to build your stack, um, power bill is a great way to, uh, kind of subsidize your, your, your DCA. Um, it's not always the most profitable way to do it. Air quotes profitable because, uh, power bills are fluctuating and, and the price of Bitcoin is volatile. So, um, if you're looking purely from like a fiat profitability, it's not always the best, best deal. But if, if they really do shut down off ramps, there's not a better way to, uh, to get your Bitcoin than with some, uh, home mining or even hosted mining where you can use Lux OS. I'll do a shameless plug there. All right, so Sultan, are you kind of the uh, the proctor slash host for your crew here? Yeah, sure. Uh, we're actually having up now calling Harper from our team as well. Which okay, you... Yeah, we'll be helping with that uh, as well. So I think that just taking two steps back and explaining a bit further uh, what else we have at Luxor and how we see the mining space evolving from here. I think uh, either Guzman or Ethan, which mind guys taking it and uh, explain a bit further what, what, what we're doing here and, and why uh, launching recently Luxor firmware is, a, is another pillar of our mining stack and what we're building. Yeah, I can, uh, I can start with that and then Guzman, feel free to jump in. So um, I, I think trying to tie this into the, the previous conversation around Operation Choke Point, some of the attack vectors on Bitcoin. For the past few years, we've been um, significantly focused on decentralizing mining across multiple verticals. And on face value, a lot of people just think that's, you know, geographically and, you know, moving away mining from a single jurisdictional risk like China. Uh, but from our perspective, we look at it multi-leg. Um, and while the uh, self-mining stack is significantly decentralized, you know, there's um, hundreds of thousands of users participating and contributing hash to the network. There are single uh, focal points of, of the stack that are more centralized than others. For example, in manufacturing, there's really only a handful of basic manufacturers, mostly like two or three that produce um, the majority of, of ASICs. Um, on the pool level, it's about 15 different uh, uh, companies. And then on the firmware side, historically, it's only been two or three which means that every ASIC in the network is tied to two or three providers. And so from our standpoint, it makes sense for uh, more competitors to come in here, offer competing products and options for miners and further decentralize that. And that was one of the inspirations that we had for, for developing, you know, the first US made firmware was um, there's firmware out there from China, you know, from Bitmain and, and MicroBT and there's firmware from um, Vinesh and, and Brains, but there's really no US made firmware. And so this, this, um, product launch that we have here, I think is, is helping further 
the decentralization of, of certain areas of the stack of mining, which we see as incredibly important for network strength moving forward. Goose, mind adding some color? <laughs> yeah, so I guess, uh, hi everyone. Thanks, Onyx, uh, for this space. Um, yeah, to add a little bit on what Ethan was mentioning, um, our main inspiration here is to essentially continue to build uh, products and, and services for, for the mining space uh, so, so they can um, leverage their operations and run a little more efficient, efficiently, be, being able to essentially. Um, <clears throat> so as a luxury, we have like three or four kind of like main prep stack. The first one is mining pool. For everyone that doesn't know, a mining pool is essentially what interacts or is that bridge between the physical world and the, the Bitcoin miners and, and the Bitcoin blockchain. Uh, so the, the mining pool is what sits in the middle, uh, essentially building those blocks that then get distributed to miners all over the world. Um, that's the key aspect of the decentralization of, of Bitcoin and the strength of the network. Um, so something that we uh, pay a lot of attention to and kind of our main kind of like product. And then oh, firmware, it's essentially going to the machine level. It's our first product that we, uh, that, it's, that, that doesn't run on Luxor servers and instead runs on every single miner's uh, like machine. Um, and that's pretty exciting because what we try to do here, it's uh, first come with like a US-based um, solution for miners and also that enables them way more control uh, than the standard firmware uh, provides. Uh, so our goal here is to, how do we uh, essentially empower or give the ability to, to miners to um, control end-to-end -end their, their machines and, and continue to, to secure the network. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of like what we do and the main motivation, kind of like bringing NaxOS to, to, to market. Yeah, I think a good set for this is, uh, Matt, you're, you're a good one to expand on this. But like uh, we were discussing yesterday with the people at Bitcoin Magazine how historically miners, uh, you know, in anticipation of a halving, they've basically chased either cheap power or, um, you know, or just newer hardware, it, uh, just more machines or newer model machines. Um, mind expanding on how we see cost control essential for this new cycle and how firmware can help with that? Certainly, yeah. So one of the main features that, that firmware enables is the adjustment of uh, your clock speed, right? So your hash rate, everyone talks about hash rate, hash rate. What is that? That's how many times you're hashing the SHA-256 algorithm per second, right? And it's like doing it trillions of times per second. So, um, the speed at which you do it determines how much Bitcoin you get from the pool. So what the firmware allows you to do, it allows you to control it. It allows you to go up faster or down slower, right? So as you get closer to the halving, um, you can respond to the hash price, which is the amount of Bitcoin you get for a given amount of hash power. Um, so let's say this rally fizzles out for some reason, like the, the market's kind of rebound or whatever, the Fed decides to do something intelligent, right? If Bitcoin winds up not appreciating in value quickly enough for a lot of miners as we approach the halving, um, 
the revenue gets cut in half overnight. I mean, over the process of 10 minutes, right? We go from block, block 209 or 200 and whatever in, in the epoch, 200 and whatever thousand to block 210,000. And you've immediately got of your previous Bitcoin earnings for your, your, your hash rate. That's going to crush miners who are not operating efficiently. And what that means is the primary expense in, in Bitcoin mining these days is generally OPEX power. The CapEx is there, obviously. That can be palatable provided the, the financing or whatever the purchasing arrangements were going into their, their venture. So when the halving comes, if you're not managing your power expenses adequately, you're going to get crushed. And what the firmware allows you to do is if, if Bitcoin hasn't doubled in price compared to the day before, um, you can dial back your hash rate potentially, which you get less Bitcoin in return, but in the process of dialing it back, you actually end up using a, a fair amount less power. So you can mo uh, monitor your margins and make sure that you are operating efficiently to get through that, uh, that period of adjustment as the market kind of settles. And what we've traditionally seen is that following that, uh, that having people start to realize how ridiculously scarce Bitcoin is and the price starts to skyrocket from there. So, um, in that transitional phase, post having miners should be able to dial it back. It's called underclocking, underclock their machines, spend a little bit less money on power, get through that, that period. And then as the bull market starts to take off, as we all expect, then they can actually go into what's called overclocking, right? So then you start to go faster than the, uh, the nameplate on the, uh, on the machine, and you can start to actually get more Bitcoin for the same amount of CapEx. So you're now less worried about margins and you're focusing on your return on investment, right? So you get an ability to respond to the market in a way that most other businesses don't, right? Like if you go to an oil and gas well, they do have what's called a choke where you can throttle your, your production. But in most cases, it's like you have to drill more wells to get more oil. So yeah, there's a tool that we introduce here with firmware that goes from like, hey, I've got all these machines just on 24-7 at the same speed to, hey, now you actually have like a throttle. You can, you can decelerate and get better fuel, fuel mileage. Um, or you can just put pedal to the metal and get as much Bitcoin as, as you can. All right, cool. So any other major points that you guys want to make? If uh, we'll let you do that and we'll also maybe open it up a little bit for questions if you guys are cool with that. Yeah, thanks, Alex. I think that before we dive into questions, we'll probably get this one, which is like, uh, what does the currently compatibility slash support look like for LuxOS? Like which, which, um, which ASICs people can run LuxOS? Um, and I think Aaron, you could take this one or maybe Matt again. Um, and then we can dive into questions, Alex. Thanks. Yeah, I'll take it. So uh, one of the things we're initially running into is just the diversity in Bitmain's uh, supply chain. They have a whole bunch of different components. And that means that the firmware has to, we have to adapt our firmware to all the different components. And it's something that, it was one of those variables we didn't know what we didn't know before we jumped into the, the public release. Well, actually, I, I take that back. When we were beta testing, we discovered this pretty quickly. So we were able to prioritize going into public. But there's basically this one thing that sits on top of the miner called the control board. And that control board is a very specific brand that we're compatible with. For any of the miners out there, we're compatible with the Xilinx on top of an S19J Pro or an S19XP. Those are very two very specific models that we're compatible with. And we are working to release 
publicly the S19 uh, standard. We call it vanilla S19 vanilla and the S19 Pro within the next week or so. Uh, we don't have a specific date yet, but we are in beta testing on that. So that just kind of it limits our market to who, who can pick it up and use it. We have all of these, uh, these details at luxor.tech slash firmware. Thank you. We could dive into questions to ask. All right, cool. So if you are on the panel or in the audience and you would like to ask these guys some questions, now's the time. Go ahead and request to come up. We'll bring you up. You can talk to them. Also, you can ask uh, questions in our Telegram group. That's t.me forward slash Cafe Bitcoin Club if you want to do it that way. Ant, now's your time, man. Go ahead. Thanks, Alex. Yeah. So for these like recent uh, ordinal, you know, out of band payments that y'all are doing, like, can you tell us how that works? Yeah, I, I can speak to that. And I, th I think we spoke about ordinals actually with Alex, uh, was it last week or the week before that? Um, so as a mining pool, we've been kind of uniquely positioned as ordinals have come up uh, to facilitate some special prints. Uh, notably, we did uh, the Taproot like four megabyte uh, block, as well as um, we've done some other inscriptions for Yuga Labs and, and, and D-Gods. Uh, I think long-term, like we, we are unsure where this is heading. You know, I, I think like anyone who says they are probably is wrong there. So we just want to make sure that if this is an opportunity for a higher security budget and more transaction fees that we're, we're helping support it. And so what we've seen in the past few weeks is that has been the case um, where transaction fees have increased both um, in, in the blocks itself as well as out of band. And so we're, we're trying to build products to, to help support it. Um, it raises a lot of questions in the future how payment methods for mining pools will adapt to it. You know, something like a papers or air plus model where um, out of band payments are being shared with miners. Um, as of now, we're kind of seeing how this evolves and, and seeing if it will be a considerable part of mining revenue in the future. Yeah. How, like the miners that are in your pool, how are they being paid when these out of band payments happen? And, and like, what's the visibility into that? Yeah. So we, we've only done one blog so far that had out of band payments was the taproot four megabyte one. Um, in terms of payment methodology, as of now, we run a full paper share mining pool. So we pay miners out based on the expected value of the past 144, you know, rolling average transaction fees plus current log subsidy and network difficulty. We, we saw this same conversation exist back in 2013, uh, to 2017 when, uh, paper share was first invented. Uh, basically at, at the time mining pools only paid out based on block subsidy. It wasn't until maybe 2016, 2017, that the norm in the industry became full paper share or PPS plus, which basically means that mining pools now started paying out transaction fees. Before that, they were just such an insignificant part of the block that they weren't worth paying out. And so I, th I think that will be the same case for ordinals where as of now, there's not a ton of revenue there. And so, you know, it hasn't raised the question whether to, to move payment methodologies, but if it does become a large part of the overall uh, reward for miners, then that'll have to be reflected in, in payment methods across the industry. So I know that 
uh, well, you said you did it once. I know you, like recently, I guess you tried to do it again and like Foundry beat you to it and your block was orphaned. Like, why did you go out and try to like tell everybody and frame that uh, event as a like malignant, uh, you know, uh, reorg? So uh, I don't know what you're looking at, but that like wasn't the Luxor pool. That was between Foundry Pool and Pool and VFDC. Like, we didn't mind any of those blogs, so I'm not sure exactly what you're speaking on. Yeah, maybe right, I have had a couple of other. Time. We've had a couple of other requests from people to come up. Uh, if you're on an Android and we try to add you to the stage, sometimes I guess there's a bug. So I'm actually on an iPhone right now because of that issue at a switch. So we're not uh, purposely not letting anybody come up. It's just uh, a bug thing going on right now. Is there anybody else that has any thoughts or questions here? If it's, if it's okay, Alex, I've got one for the Luxor team. Just kind of a general mining question. Sure, go for it. Um, Ethan or Guz, um, or Aaron, um, Oh, Guz isn't here anymore. So Ethan or Aaron, um, I guess maybe Ethan, you could tackle this first. What would you say are some of the like biggest differences between the current market structure and Bitcoin? Let's say like last bear market in 2018. Um, what kind of differences are you seeing in the tools and services that miners are requested or maybe the sophistication for which they're planning their operations? Yeah, I, th I think this is actually quite relevant looking at the last having versus heading into the next one. So last having happened, you know, Q2 2020, um, that, that was a time in which hash rate just started to, to look towards North America to come over here. And so there wasn't a lot of, uh, financial tools available to miners at the time, including access to debt capital. And whereas, you know, heading into the having in 2024, we're looking at a situation where a lot of the miners going into that having are, are highly levered. And so they, they have that kind of drag on their balance sheet and their treasury. And so that, that's, I guess, one of the biggest differences that we're seeing right now, um, heading into that, that event. Uh, but now there's additional tools that they can use to, to mitigate some of the, uh, other, um, you know, concerns of heading into that having. So. There's instruments to hedge both Bitcoin and hash price. And then um, there's things like firmware where you can improve like the efficiency of your role machine uh, that we've talked about today. So miners definitely need to be careful uh, heading into the, the having, you know, decreasing block subsidy by, by 50% and utilize as many tools as possible to, to deal with that and, and remain profitable. All right, we have up here, Eric Ward. Good morning. You have a question. Hey, good morning, Alex. Thanks for having me. Um, so there's always talk about Bitcoin having no counterparty risk. It is my belief and many others believe that the counterparty risk is in fact the network. So what that thought process does for me and others is it arrives at the inevitable conclusion that it's almost our responsibility or will be in the near future for people who believe in the network to contribute through some sort of mining activity. So for new people who want to get involved, they want to start looking at, hey, 
it might be a good idea to try to contribute to one of these mining pools. What would be a great place for those types of people to start? Anyone want to take a stab here? Yeah, I mean, the, the first thing is what, what kind of uh, hardware do you have with respect to mining? Um, I guess there's multiple ways you could. You could try to go work at a, a mining pool, specifically if you, if you have the, uh, the background to uh, contribute in that way. Um, however, uh, the most obvious way is to, to buy a miner, like I was saying at the beginning of our, of our, our segment here. Uh, buy a miner and point it at a mining pool and, and start uh, contributing hash rate. Uh, not everyone's in a position to do that from a, an electri electricity bill perspective, but uh, there are hosting facilities out there. So I, that's, like I said, that's the most uh, obvious way to do it. So Austin, do you have a thought here? Yeah, uh, I had a question. Uh, since we're talking about Operation Choke Point, I live... Uh, nowadays in India, I also live in Europe before, and Operation Choke Point has been active in India for over two years. Uh, you can't buy USDT or BTC via exchanges. You can only do it through P2P, and Operation Choke Point is also active in the customs department uh, because if I purchase miners in India and it comes from China or in the US, customs will not allow you to buy it, even if you're willing to pay whatever amount of dollars. So how does one uh, contribute to the network if you're not even able to purchase uh, a mining? Also, I'm getting dropped. It's All like right. Two asked cut out for me, but I think what he was asking is how can people participate in helping secure the network if they can't even get the miners? Run a node. I mean, if you can't mine, like spin up a node, spin up two nodes, make sure that you're anchoring the network for other people who want to download it later. Uh, that, that's, that's what I would say. Because, you know, not everyone needs to mine or should mine. Um, a lot of people think that it's an easy way to make a quick buck, and that's just not the case. So, um, you know, if you want to play around with a smaller miner and you have the means to go for it, but if you want to just do the bare, you know, do what you can with limited resources to help the network, just spin up a full node. What are the responsibilities when one, that one should, should think about when, I mean, it's not just spinning up the node and then just walking away, is it? Uh, I mean, as long as you uh, put your node, as long as it's not on private. As long as your node is public and it allows other connections to other nodes to, you know, propagate the transaction history of the network, then, I mean, there's not really too much overhead in running a node, right? It's not like a miner where it's just gobbling up energy um, and might blow up in your living room. No, no, no. I meant, sorry, I meant, I meant responsibility as far <laughs> as um, responsibility to the, to the network, you know, to, to be, to be an active part or is wow. it just. Is it as simple as just spinning up the node and walking away? I, I mean, I think it's as simple as just spinning up the node and walking away. I mean, like I said, you want to make sure that all of your connections are public or that, that, that people can actually see your node, that, that um, you know, it's not private. But 
Um, I, I don't know if I'm answering you. I can't tell if you're asking a philosophical question or if you're asking a practical question. No, I'm asking a practical question because, um, so I don't run a node. Um, and, you know, if I were to run a node, I would think it would drive me to look more closely at some of the issues that um, come about, um, the BIPs and, you know, other other kind of issues, the ordinal issues, the um, uh, the inscriptions, all these things and how they affect um, the network. I would think that it would be my responsibility as a node runner to um, seriously look at these things and try to understand them, to be able to, um, at some point, vo voice my opinion. Um, you know, if uh, something was to happen with, with, with a fork or some other kind of uh, of of issue that is created because of these things. I would say it's not necessarily your responsibility, but it's um, probably in your best interest if you want to do that, right? Um, Bitcoin's permissionless, so I don't think it's anyone's responsibility to necessarily do anything with it. Um, you can choose to interact with it in the way that you choose to interact with it. Um, and if you want to run a node and be really involved in, you know, reviewing BIPs and understanding all of the technical discussions, that's great. I don't necessarily think that you have to do that to run a node. No. In fact, I would argue that it's better to have people who don't do that. You want people who just turn on the node and forget about all the technical development and they're like, I don't care if Bitcoin ossifies tomorrow. You want people who are, you know, just providing services and uh, pr providing the infrastructure for this decentralized network, kind of regardless of all of the political squabbles or technical squabbles. And to add to that, uh, Colin, uh, just a quick example, like I did, did exactly what you said. I spun up a node like a year ago and haven't haven't really touched it since until last week when Nick was kind of looking into that reorg. And like exactly to your point, like there's there's no Bitcoin node police to see how you're you're running it. But when the opportunity presents itself to say, hey, wait, there was a reorg. <laughs> I want to go see what's the latest there. You can quickly Google the commands to go see if there's a, a fork out there on the network. Issue that command to your node and boom, you know, you know, oh, look, there's here's the reorg. It was this block and this block. And now you're auditing the code. See, like the, the it, there's obviously a spectrum of how involved you are but like that's the beauty of bitcoin it's there's 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 no centralized authority telling you what you should or shouldn't do yeah so i just wanted to add one point all right no we're we're now we're actually at the end of the show we were at the end of the show a couple of minutes ago so unfortunately we have to close it out we're gonna let uh i do want to thank you for being up here though see us we we're gonna let luxor make a couple of closing comments and then we're gonna wrap yeah, thank you again to the SWAN team and to you, Alex. Big shout out to Jacob, who's always behind the scenes, helping organize all of these, which are amazing and great. Um, we're, we're already looking to the forward to the next one. Um, you know, we have a couple of things in the docket for this year at Luxor, so you will be hearing from us again. Um, I guess, Ethan, want to take it over and give a couple of closing words as, as well? No, this was uh, just what Dan said. That was a, a a great talk today. Everything from operational choke point to the mining side. So, Alex, appreciate you and the Swan team uh, running these weekly. They're 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 really great. And um, yeah, for anyone who wants to find uh, more information on Luxor, we're we're available at Luxor.tech. I appreciate you guys. Anything from you, Matt? 
No, just go check out Luxor.tech slash firmware. Uh, that's my shameless plug, but I uh, appreciate y'all for having us, Alex, Jacob. It's been awesome. Yeah, thanks, Alex. Pleasure as always. All right, guys. Thanks for coming. Uh, and uh, it, was, it was good digging into some of this stuff. We'll continue to do so. Uh, and to all the people who are working in the industry, who are building, um, now's the time to build. And uh, we're just going to keep rolling with that, man. All right. That's, that's pretty much a wrap. Before we close up here, uh, tonight, we're doing a swan salon in Miami. I'm in Miami. All right. So if you're, if you're hearing this and you're curious about what it means to be a Swan private client and you want to come to this thing tonight in Miami, shoot me a DM. We have a couple of spots left. We can see if we can get you in. Uh, that's not a guarantee, but, um, you know, we're going to try to let a more people in to check this thing out. We're going to have Sam Callahan here, Preston Pish. It's basically um, an exclusive event. We've got a, a rooftop on Miami Beach where people are going to come and hang out, hors d'oeuvres, drinks, all that kind of stuff. And most importantly, you get to hang out with some Bitcoiners uh, and learn from people in the industry and talk directly to the SWAN team and learn about what that's all about. You've been listening to Cafe Bitcoin, the place for your morning news, preferred hangout for some of the smartest minds in the industry. This is also a podcast up on Fountain, Spotify, and Apple. If you can't catch the live show, you can catch it there. You can throw me or Swan of all to be notified of when those drop. Thanks to Swan Bitcoin to sponsor the show. My crew and Peter Sats for Life, producer Jacob. I'm your host, Alex Danzig, and I work with Swan. If you want to know more, shoot me a DM. I'm happy to help. Thanks again to the speakers that have come up here today for the morning segment and, or I'm sure, I'm sorry, the first hour segment, the second hour segment. Appreciate what you guys do, taking your personal time to teach people about this bright orange feature that we call Bitcoin. And this time that we're in right now with Operation Choke Point, all these crazy things that are happening, uh, encourage you, if you're, if you're considering doing Bitcoin, don't wait. Figure it out. Uh, and for those of you who, who listen to this show regularly, consider yourself Bitcoiners. You know what this means. Get on the mission. Go out there and help people understand what this thing is. Love all you guys. Everybody have a great day today. Get out there and crush it.